We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 92, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning in to the show. Tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're at Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for just me. I'm Dan Hilton, joined by my co-host for today, special guest co-host, that's Roy Nemer, at Roy Nemer on Twitter, to talk all about Argentina at the World Cup and answer some questions in La Ronda from our Barcelona, the Barcelona Podcast closed Facebook group. You can just check tbpod.link backslash group, and it'll send you to that closed Facebook group. Ask to join, and we'll let you in by answering three simple questions. Roy, I can't waste any time getting to this. Today's La Grande Pregunta, what does the World Cup mean for Messi's legacy? And while there are plenty of other FC Barcelona players at the World Cup, I would implore people to go over to barsablog.com where we've been updating you on how each player, including Yuri Mina, Thomas Vermillion, who hasn't really played yet, Usmani Dembele, Samu Umtiti, even Rakitic, who's probably had the best World Cup so far, and we'll get to him in La Ronda. But for all the players for FC Barcelona that have been in the World Cup, head over. We've got special articles coming out each match day. You can review with the players, see what comes next for each of them. But for now, Roy, particularly in today, as we're recording this just basically minutes after Argentina and Lionel Messi beat Nigeria to reach the knockout stage. They finished second behind Croatia. So we're, I'd say we're still processing. Lionel Messi, World Cup numbers against Nigeria, 92 touches, 80% pass accuracy, seven successful take-ons, five fouls won, two chances created, two shots, two shots on target, and of course, that sensational goal where he brought it down with the thigh, one touch in the top of the boot, and finishing with his quote-unquote weaker foot. But yet, Roy, all of those things, I summed it up as quick as I could in 10 seconds, does not tell the story of that game. What a roller coaster. Well, uh, first off, thank you for having me. Um, and we mentioned this off air. My, my voice is a little bit uh, gone from all the screaming and all the yelling. Uh, but yeah, I know definitely a roller coaster of a match. Uh, emotions were running high. Uh, there were some tears at the end, I won't lie. <laughs> there were some tears in the end. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it was something, you know, it was, it was something. And, uh, thankfully there was someone else to, to bail Messi out for once with, uh, with the national team because that hasn't really happened, uh, lately. Um, to answer your question in terms of what does the World Cup mean to Messi's legacy? Listen, I, I, I've always been of the idea that if he wins it, and I hope he does, um, if he wins it, it'll just be like, a like an added extra on, on his resume, on his CV. 
Um, if he doesn't win it, listen, for me, he's still the best. Um, call me biased, call me whatever you want. Uh, for me, he's still the best, whether he wins it or not. If he wins it, then I think he'll go down as the best for a lot of people. Uh, if he doesn't win it, then maybe those, you know, those extra other people will be like, well, you know, he never did it for Argentina, which is a lie, but, you know, he never won the big one, was never able to lift the trophy, so I'm still going to go with, you know, whoever, Maradona or Pelé or Zidane or whoever people want to consider the best. Uh, for me, he's shown it. He's shown that he's the best, both for Barcelona and, and even more so probably for Argentina, especially the last couple of years. Um, the legacy, listen, it's, he's been building a legacy for the past 10 years, over 10 years. And if you're going to judge someone's legacy based off of seven matches, maximum seven matches every four years, that's not really fair. Uh, whether it's Messi, Ronaldo, or uh, you know Neymar, whoever, whoever it is, uh, I find that totally unfair. Um, so for me, listen, he wins it, that's great. If he doesn't win it, not as great, but for me, it doesn't, uh, doesn't change his legacy at all. It doesn't affect it at all. Yeah, those are kind of conversations that I'm having. Obviously, I'm in the States, you're in Canada, and those are the conversations that I'm having where people obviously know me as, you know, where I, where I work is not a soccer-oriented place, so I, I am, you know, one of the soccer guys, and people say, oh, how about the World Cup, yada, yada, messy, messy, messy. They, they know where my allegiances lie, and yet it seems like, as you're saying, like it's just seven games, and it happens every four years, but for us in, in places where soccer or football is not happening all the time or it takes a, a back seat to all the other sports going on, it seems to me that it's, it's a pro and con, you can make the full list of these people who are waking up every four years and they're creating the referendum and the narrative because they're only waking up to it and it's just a, a mass amount, it's, it's a world over watching these two guys, and that being Messi and Ronaldo, of course, the bigger narrative here is which one's better, the GOAT conversation, yada, yada. And yet, here's me with the simple retort that watch La Liga week in and week out. Watch Real Madrid matches. Watch Barcelona matches every single week. And you will have a, an opinion on not even which is better, but why they're so different players and why they're both the best in their different ways where Ronaldo might be the better pure goal scorer, but you watch Messi. And as Gary Lineker always says, he's just, he has that something special that when you watch, you know that you'll never see something like it again. And we can see that at FC Barcelona week in and week out, but in the world cup, if he doesn't replicate that in, let me just try to do the quick math here, in 630 minutes, let's say they get to the final, and even in 2014 when it goes to extra time, so of course more than the 630 minutes in seven matches if Argentina gets that far. But if they were to crash out in the group stages, there it would have been three matches. It would have been just 90 minutes on three occasions to define his legacy to, we'll call him the general populace, who aren't paying attention to the World Cup all the time. And, and I think for us being in the media, but then also recognizing we're fans. You know, for me, I wanted to be on Twitter. I wanted to be on social media after this game, seeing the reactions, seeing all that. But then <laughs> you take that with a grain of salt because you also get all those those hot takes about, well, oh, Messi, he's done this. Now he's the greatest. But I don't think anything has changed in his legacy at the beginning of that Nigeria game to the end of it, even if Argentina don't get out of the group stage. But Again, I, I think that's where the devil's advocate comes in where, and I have to ask you then and throw it back to you that if this result goes differently, how does that affect his legacy to the general populace, not necessarily to us who are watching every week? Oh, I think it would change a lot because people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, Messi, Argentina, big team, big name players. 
can't make it out of the group. How much of a goat could he actually be? No, no way. Look at Ronaldo. Look at Portugal. They've, they're, you know, they're, they've made it out of the group stage. And if you look at Brazil with with Neymar, despite the fact that Coutinho's arguably been their their best player, all you know, look at Brazil. They've gone out. So no, he can't be the goat. He can't do this. He can't do that. And again, it's it's unfair. And and I'll mention something. For example, um, like right now, Argentina made it out. Right? They eliminated Nigeria. Finished second in the group yesterday. Uh, if that Iran shot goes in, Portugal gets eliminated, right? Portugal goes out, Iran's in with with Spain. Is anyone really going to say, well, Cristiano Ronaldo is not is not the best player in the world because he wasn't able to make it out of the group? I don't think so. Uh, or anyways, in my in my opinion, it's not fair uh, because at the end of the day, it's it's a sports it's a sport, right? It's a team it's a team effort. Um, if you watch that game, Messi today I thought played brilliant, played fantastic. But let's say, uh, you know, Mascherano messed up on the first goal. That was a penalty. What happens if Nigeria gets a second penalty and they score? Argentina gets eliminated 2-1. How is that fair to Messi or his quote-unquote legacy? And if that happens to, to Ronaldo or to Neymar or to whomever, how is that fair to their legacy? It's it's a team sport. And unfortunately, people, even, even the people that watch the sport week in and week out and are obsessed with it, that's something that they tend to miss. It's something that we tend to forget sometimes. And, and that's people that watch the game regularly so imagine those of the general public that only watch it every four years who see you know people wearing fc barcelona messi shirts or real madrid cristiano ronaldo shirts or, or whatever you know they're like oh wow so these two are, are the, at the top of the game they're great i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna watch the world cup and expect them to do something fantastic and then argentina crashes out in the group and you're like well i mean yeah maybe messi's good but yeah, he's he's not the goat. There's there's no way he's the goat, right? Like Ronaldo scored three or four goals in the group stages. That guy is the goat. Forget it. And it's it's not fair. And 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 again, even if the the, the shoe was on the other foot uh, on the other foot, so to speak, and Portugal were to get eliminated and Argentina would stay on, it's not fair to to Ronaldo. It's not fair to any individual, right? Because at the end of the day, you win as a team and you lose as a team. Sometimes you might, you know. You might get one player that might be able to inspire you and lead you to victory for one match or two matches or even three matches. But it's down to luck. It's down to team play. It's down to the opponent as well. Uh, it's down to, to a lot of different factors. And, you know, unfortunately, whether it's football or soccer, you know, whatever it is, uh, people are always going to talk about it. You know, NBA, LeBron James, oh, he's not the GOAT because whatever, the Cavaliers weren't able to win it this year and, and whatever. And it's not fair. Honestly speaking, it's not fair. Um, and one thing that I would like to mention really, really quickly is I'm a diehard Barcelona fan, diehard Argentina fan. Uh, I'm not Ronaldo's biggest fan, right? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm, he's not my favorite, although I admire what he does. I really do. And something that people often don't get is you could watch both players. You could enjoy both players. You could admire both players. Uh, following Portugal versus Spain, the match that ended 3-3 where Ronaldo scored a hat-trick. I ended up tweeting like, wow, what a match, you know, Ronaldo, Hadrick, and this and that. And I actually got some flag, I got some DMs saying, oh, I thought you were a Messi fan, how dare you say something positive about Ronaldo. And I'm just thinking to myself, but what does it change? Like, he still played great, he still had a Hadrick, whatever. Regardless of how the goals went in, that free kick alone at the end was, was incredible. Like, you could still enjoy, you know, someone, like another player or someone that's not from your favorite team. If not, I feel like you're just missing out on on the sport in general, and especially something like the World Cup. That's every four years. Yeah, my brain has watched so many games and so many matches in the last 
12 days. It's hard to remember all of them, but the Portugal-Spain match in match day one sticks out to me because I think it, from a tactical perspective, from just the, the sheer talent that was not even on display because there are so many talented teams. I mean, particularly look at what Germany's doing with the players they have on the field. But to me, it was the, the culmination of talent in Portugal and Spain. For me, it was the best match of, the, of, of match day one. And yes, it also happens to be one of the more high-scoring matches. But nevertheless, I think when you talk about not necessarily going back to legacy, but for me, it's frustrating. And you can talk about the Argentina media. And again, one of the reasons that I love having you on for this is that there were so many silly cutaways to Diego Maradona. And instead of just saying that Maradona, Messi, and just stick in that frame, I do want to just make reference to the fact that a World Cup so often, and I think, of course, club is like this, but the fact that clubs are defined so much by influxes of money and we, we can't underestimate how important that kind of thing is for when you look at a, a Paris Saint-Germain where a lot of their success again a team that started in 1970 they get this big influx of money and now they're, they're a world power and they keep you know you keep putting money and money into them where Chelsea since the turn of the century is seeing their fortunes change and things like that and you look at clubs and Clubs will rise and fall sometimes with the way money works. And um, look at even River, River Plate in Argentina where they, when they fell on harsh times. But for the World Cup and for international teams, the countries are always going to have the, you'll have to say, I guess, the same opportunities to make it year in and year out. And now the, the continent of Africa is catching up. I and you I obviously would hope that the continent of North America is going to start to catch up soon. But when it comes to South America, it comes to Europe. The Brazilian national team is always fighting against the ghosts of the past, whether it's the Brazilian Ronaldo, obviously it's Pele, Socrates, all of those players. You're always seeing that that's the pinnacle. That's what you have to achieve, and you always feel that pressure. And the same thing can be said of Argentina with Maradona, but not just Maradona, with Crespo, with all the greats of the past, with Zanetti. And while Zanetti never won a World Cup, those fullbacks can't possibly replicate what Zanetti did. They're just not at that level and so to me it's always interesting in international play when they're just again and Spain is a is a great example too because of all the success they've recently have a lot of the players are similar but you look at it oh Iniesta's on the field if they don't win the World Cup he did it before why can't they do it again and you're always fighting against the past and I think that happens a lot more in international play than it does in club play and that's why those narratives are so much easier to create, particularly with Maradona, who's the best of the best at putting those narratives in your face and trying to catch the limelight himself. Oh, for sure. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it, it says something when a team like, like Argentina in 2014, right? They made the final and ultimately they lost. And all everyone could talk about is, oh, well, like, yeah, forget it. Messi's not as good as Maradona. Okay, sure, fine. We'll, we'll agree with that or agree to disagree, whatever. But instead of actually praising the team and saying, you know what, like this is a team effort and these guys made the final and whatnot, it's always there's always a comparison, like you said, right? And and same thing like for for Barcelona when uh, when Luis Enrique took over, they won the treble, and a lot of people said, oh, but you know, it's not it's not Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, you know, they weren't able to play the same style, and then uh, you know, and then he left, and there's always there's always the comparisons. There's always, always the comparisons. And I think we see it more with international play just because it's every four years, right? With, with club football, it happens on a season-to-season basis, so you probably don't realize it as much just because things are constantly changing. With the World Cup, it's, well, okay, well, man, look, look at this Brazil team. 
they're good, but are they as good as 2002? Are they as good as the you know the 94, even the 86 or the 82 team? And instead of you know instead of saying, well, you know what, this team is good, and they should probably work on this and work on this, there's always the extra added pressure, and that added pressure is there for every team. It's there for Spain uh, this year compared to 2010. It's there for Brazil. It's constantly there for uh, for Argentina, and it's not fair. It's really really not fair, and. You know, maybe because it is the World Cup and it's the whole spectacle, it's the whole thing of it where people just want to talk about anything, anything regarding the World Cup. So those those narratives are always there, those comparisons are always there. And I find for Argentina anyways, it's maybe not so much as the team being compared to 86 or 78 as much as Messi being compared to Maradona. That's really like, that's all I've been seeing constantly for the past probably 10, no, I was going to say 10 years, since 2010, for the past eight years, Argentina's World Cup is coming up. Instead of talking about the team, saying, you know what, there's a goalie that's not playing well, or the attack is maybe not so strong. No, no, no. It's all, well, is Messi as good as Maradona? Let's let's compare the two. And it's ridiculous because it was actually, uh, they were comparing, I believe it was on Brazilian television last night, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw it, where they were comparing Diego Maradona's warm-ups to Lionel Messi warming up. Literally, just like a warm-up b- before matches, and they were just comparing and, and talking about the body language and everything. And it's, you know, when it, whenever it reaches that level, I just find it's, it's excessive. It's way too much. Way, way too much. You want to make the comparison? Fine. That's inevitable. I'll even talk about the comparisons. I don't mind. But let's not beat a, let's not beat a dead horse. You get what I mean? Like, it's, it really becomes way, way too much, and to the point where it's just, it's not enjoyable anymore. The narrative... There are so many other different narratives they could talk about at a World Cup. Why stick to the regular Maradona versus Messi or Messi versus Ronaldo or this Brazil compared to 2002 Brazil or whatever? There's so many different stories you could talk about. Why are we always stuck on the same ones? Yeah, and we won't beat a dead horse with this because we have to move on to La Ronda. But before we do that, I do want to put you on the spot for just a second, Roy, and ask you that while Argentina have made it through to the knockout round, I wouldn't say they were even the favorites in the group. So I'm going to put you on the spot. FC Barcelona have players on most of the teams in the knockout stages. Do you, are you going to stick with the favorite that you picked at the start of this? Or has you, have you changed your mind? Or how do you figure this is going to shape out? Because now we have a, a better idea of how these groups could finish. I mean, we could even see Brazil-Germany. And by the time it hits people's ears, they might know if it is indeed Brazil-Germany in the first round of the knockouts, which is just absurd on that side of the bracket. So the way that the bracket is starting to shape out, how do you see this one fin- finishing? It's, it's absolutely crazy. It's mad. And, you know, we all predicted at the start of the World Cup or before it started, oh, you know, Brazil would finish first, Germany finishes first, and everything just changed. Everything changed. Uh, my prediction for the start of the World Cup was Brazil. I thought Brazil would, would win it. Um, looking at their performances, they're slowly getting better, you know, probably match by match. Um, if I had to pick, I would probably stick with Brazil. Um, although my personal Argentina prediction was this team either crashes out in the group stages or makes the final. And uh, the road to the final looks fairly difficult with France and then either Uruguay or, or Portugal. So that's going to be difficult. Um, for me, I still think Brazil. Uh, Germany is missing something. Germany does not, and again, I don't want to make the comparison, but they're missing something that they had in 2014 or even 2010. Uh, there is just a little spark maybe that's missing. I don't know what it is. But it still feels like it's a it's a solid team. It's a team that could play well and you know on their day eliminate you and make the next round. But I feel like against a team maybe like Spain or Brazil, 
ah, they could have a lot of difficulties. Uh, and for I think for that reason alone, I would say Brazil. Uh, Brazil makes the final. Brazil wins it. Um, although I'll stick with my one of my original predictions, which was I have Uruguay making at least the semifinals. Uh, I have them making at least the semis. England probably quarters. I had Germany out by the quarters. Um, and like you said, the, by the time people listen to this, it might be Germany-Brazil in, in the next round, and that might happen there. Um, but to answer your question, I'm going to stick with my original prediction, despite the fact that this World Cup has been absolutely unpredictable, and uh, stay with uh, with Brazil. That's a good shout. I mean, I, I said it was going to be Brazil over Germany in the final, so with things going to be a little different, obviously, with that side of the bracket, I think uh, Brazil's a good shout for you. So let's head over to La Ronda. We're going to be a little more quick fire here to get through a lot of our questions from the Barcelona Podcast Closed Facebook group. Frances is not on the show, obviously. You notice that Frances is taking a little bit of vacation for now. Not sure how long he'll be gone exactly. He just wanted to keep it wide open. But Frances, in his time away, asked, is Rakitic the best Barca player in the current World Cup? And Frances, you set us up. You know my answer is going to be yes. He was fantastic against Argentina and not even against Argentina you look at the attention that the Real Madrid players are getting with Tony Cruz and his winner uh, against Sweden and Luka Modric, who was fantastic against Argentina as well, has been great in the group stages. Even Rakitic, to me, might have had the best performance of any player in the World Cup in that dismantling of Argentina. And for me, the ways he was defending, the ways he was helping out on the attack, the way he was spreading passes out, and even the goal, the composure at the end, a, just almost a perfect performance from him in that match alone. And, of course, Croatia didn't need to throw him out. He came on as a sub for the last 10 minutes today in their final group stage match against Iceland. But Rakitic, what a performance from him. And goodness gracious, if he took that that Rakitic and brought that to Barcelona this season, we'd be in truly good shape. And not to say you can replace Iniesta, but if he plays like that, that's a great way to start. Oh, I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Uh, I think Rakitic has been Barcelona's best player at this World Cup. The match against Argentina was just—he was tormenting us. Uh, he was tormenting us, and I'm, I'm taking absolutely nothing away from Rakitic, and I'm—I'm I'm a fan of his and, and everything. Uh, although I'll say the match against Argentina, there was no midfield for Argentina. I think it was a lot of wing play. But my God, him and Modric just ran the show, didn't they? That was wow. Um, yeah, whether he could, you know, replicate that form for Barcelona remains to be seen. Um, I thought he had a pretty good season, you know, this time around. I, I thought he stepped it up. Um, we'll see. You know, it definitely helps when you have a Modric next to you. Um, but, you know, he's, he's stringing those passes together. He had that shot with the, the free kick, which hit the crossbar against Argentina. And then, like you said, the composure and just the calmness uh, on the finish of the goal. He has the passes. He has the shot. He has the vision, the tracking back. The, the work rate, everything, everything, everything. And I feel like sometimes as Barcelona fans, we, it's not that we, you know, we take the, the, the players for granted, but sometimes we forget just how good they can be. And, you know, sometimes you could have a bad match or bad week or bad month, but the talent is there. And sometimes you just need the right system uh, to, dis- to properly display that talent. But uh, I completely agree with you, Rakitic, for me, hands down, uh, best Barcelona player at this World Cup. Stefano asked, there's been rumors that Arter and Langlet are close to signing in the beginning of July. Not sure how true that is from what you've heard. What signs do you think Barca will make come July? And the way I usually work with the transfers and the way the Barcelona podcast policy is, we don't really talk about the players. 
until there's either really strong rumors from multiple sources and it seems like conversations have started with different camps. That's why we talked about Griezmann and we look how that turned out. But with those two players in particular, I think I also think about the after the Germany match when Chucky or uh, Lozano from Mexico was linked by his own father to Barcelona and saying they may have inquired about him. I always want to remind people Think about the three non-EU players that Barcelona are allowed. And whenever you hear a player like even Christian Pavan for Argentina, and you might hear some links about him, the truth is that Barcelona have to play, and all European clubs have to use those three non-EU players. And right now, Yuri Mina is one of them. And so Douglas asks, would you loan Yuri Mina or sell for the right price? And I think these two are connected because if he's loaned out, and that being Yuri Mina, because Langlet is coming to Barcelona as the you know, hands down third center back behind PK in Umtiti. And even if one of the two loses form, Langlet certainly showed against Sevilla that he could be a starter for Barcelona. I think Arthur and Langlet, you know that those are, are, are deals that Barcelona are in on. It fits what Barcelona have done recently in the transfer window, and that is go after La Liga talents. Speaking of Langlet, La Liga talents that know the league well and succeed at teams like Sevilla or Villarreal or Valencia. That seems to be what they're doing. And so Yuri Mina... If he's loaned out, that means they are maybe looking for another non-EU player. But I think it's a little too early to sell him, wouldn't you say? Uh, see, that's that's a. I'm always of the opinion that give a player time, give a player at least one season, see how he develops, see what happens, see what gives. But you kind of get the feeling that Mina is not probably not at the level, uh, you know, that a player is supposed to be for Barcelona. And I'm putting that kindly, uh, despite the fact I know that he scored for Colombia yesterday. Um, I feel like he's, you know, he doesn't read the play probably, you know, very well. His passing's a bit off. He's, he's not there, you know, and that's not a knock on him because there's a lot of players that are very talented, but the second they reach the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, or whomever, you know, they probably don't do that well just because the talent is not at that level. Um, if it was up to me, I would probably loan him out or, uh, you know, sell him just because if you already consider doing it, at the, you know, in the first season, chances are there's, you know, he's, he has no future at the club, right? Um, the coach sees him every day in training. He very rarely did he ever make the, 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 the match squad this season for Barcelona. Um, you feel like there was something fishy behind that buy, maybe. You know, they didn't need a center back because Mascherano was leaving. Was he the right choice? You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, probably not. Um, but if they're in for, for Langlet, then definitely I think uh, Jeremino does leave. Um, I would, I would tell him. To be honest with you, I would sell him. And I'm not hating on the player, but I just feel like he's not at the the, the level that one's supposed to be at if you want to play for Barcelona. Scott's got a question back to talking about Argentina. Does Sampoli's inability to organize a team around Messi highlight how well Valverde did this year, given the Neymar situation and the lack of a bench? Uh, I think it's unfair for Sampoli uh, for two reasons. One, Messi played out of his skin for Barcelona this season. He was just incredible. And number two, for Sampoli. Different players, different system, not enough time. Uh, I know Valverde was only there for, you know, first season and everything, but Sampaoli is the type of coach that needs time. You know, his system takes at least a year, two years, three to four years, whatever it is. It does take time. It's not something that's established over one year, especially one that one year. You can't really experiment much because the team is struggling in World Cup and uh, in World Cup qualifiers, sorry. And then you have like two friendly matches, one of which gets canceled and whatnot. Uh, I think it's unfair on Sampaoli. He's definitely made some mistakes. I'll be the first one to admit he's made some mistakes. Um, there's a lot going on right now within the team, from the squad, from the federation. Uh, but 
I wouldn't say it's a knock on Sao Paulo, uh, just because it's it's difficult. It's difficult to get it right, and you know the amount of pressure that he's on is is intense. He's really under a lot of pressure uh, for the team to do well. And uh, I, if you want to criticize him, I understand the criticism, but I wouldn't go as far as uh, as a lot of people would in terms of uh, knocking on him. I love this next question from Rick, kind of off topic from Barca, but what do you guys think about VAR? The league will be implementing the system from next season and looking at all the controversy at the World Cup. I'm concerned whether it will be properly used in the Spanish league. And Roy, for me, this is a little twofold. I think VAR still has its detractors, and I think that it still is not perfect. But again, for you living in Canada and me living in the U.S., I can tell you that the stoppages for replay reviews in other sports, whether it's the NFL or basketball or baseball, they are a lot longer in stoppages. And sometimes these VARs have been import, have been longer delays, but I don't think it breaks up the fluidity of a match in any worse way than a nasty challenge where all the players try to get into little scuffles like that. I think VAR is getting it right, and that's the whole point of it, is to use extra officials to get it right. And whether it's utilized properly in the Liga is an interesting thing because in the World Cup, you'd have to expect that these are the best of the best referees around the world, and the Liga are going to have Liga referees on VAR. And so if a VAR decision happens, and this is not a knock on the Liga referees, but it's just a matter of, you know, as I said, the World Cup is the best of the best, and the Liga is just one country's referees. So you're, you're diluting the, we'll call it the refereeing talent base there, and so I think it's going to take a year or two to get adjusted. But once this system is down, they have the technology. And once this happens, you know, very quickly, then I know there are people that just want the referees to be objective. And they think that that objectivity is a part of the game or we'll say subjectivity for refereeing. They say that the human part of it is is one of the things that they enjoy about the game. Uh, for me, I think that trying to they say that the best refereeing is refereeing when you don't know that they're even there, when they just control the game seamlessly and let the result decide itself. And I think VAR helps do that. So I, I don't know. From a, a fundamental, logical sense, I think it's it's going to be a good thing. But boy, oh boy, is it going to get a backlash in year one. Yeah, no, no. It's definitely not perfect. Um, am I for VAR? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I like you know I like the idea of it. I like that you know we're getting a lot more calls right. My problem with VR is really just the fact that I have two problems with it. Uh, the first one is we're seeing a lot more play acting, quote unquote, diving from a lot of players. And that's something that I wasn't expecting with VAR. Uh, I see players just really over exaggerating and, and falling down and whatnot. The second problem that I have with VR is the fact that we don't know when or why or how it's being used. You know, is it going to be called on every time there's a potential penalty, every time there's a potential handball? What's, what is it? Because sometimes. It's not clear. You know, I like the idea of VAR. I absolutely do. You know, you get the calls right. It's, it's fine. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, it's supposed to eliminate controversy. But on the other side of the coin, we don't know. Like, for example, uh, there was a match. It was Argentina versus Iceland where they went to, to, to VAR for one thing. And then Christian Pavon gets stripped down. And they don't even go to VAR for that. And that was, a, for me, anyways, it looked like a penalty. But, okay, why didn't you guys go to VAR for that? That's my only problem with it. Um, you know, we don't know when we're getting it, when we're not. And when it comes to La Liga referees, then it's, I mean, I don't know if incompetency is the word, but, but I'm afraid to see Mateo Laos go to VAR uh, to, get, to get something wrong. You know, it's, 
let's be honest. Referees have a difficult job. Um, referees are human beings. They make mistakes. And VAR is supposed to eliminate that. But you sometimes get the feeling that maybe VAR in La Liga, considering some of the calls that certain big teams get, um, might not be the best idea. Let's put it that way. That's a good answer to that. And we've got two more questions. The one first is a quick one about Tiago Alcantara from Michael. Should we or shouldn't we try to sign Tiago Alcantara? Bayern is asking for 70 million euro. Given his numerous injuries, his fair market value can't be more than 35 million is what Michael asks. And I think that's the whole point here, that Bayern is going to be asking more than he might actually be worth. And are Barcelona willing to play hardball? Because after losing out on Griezmann, Barcelona have now, not to say played their hand, but they've showed they do have a little bit of money to spend and it's not in a dire situation like last year when they felt like they had to spend the Neymar money and replace him with Coutinho, who, looking at this Barcelona, it's a, looking at this World Cup with Brazil, it's great that Coutinho was tied down. And that was a question that we got as well from Luke. So answer that one about Coutinho. I'm glad that he's wrapped up because he would have been very expensive after this World Cup, as I had been saying beforehand. But for Thiago, he's not necessarily getting his market value up in this World Cup playing with Spain. He just started in their third group match, and he was all right. But he has been their, what, fifth best midfielder in the Spanish national team, which, again, is a place that you and I would love to be or a call to fame that you would love, you and I would love to have in life. But yet, if, if Bayern are going to try to price gouge Barcelona, I don't think Thiago's the kind of player that they should let them take them to the bank for. No, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm a Thiago fan. I was sad to see him go. I'd love to have him back, but it all depends on the price tag. Um, the thing is that 70 million these days in this market doesn't seem like a lot, but it's still 70 million. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure if he's worth it. Just because, as you mentioned, he's always injured. He's never, like, I don't think he's ever gone a full season without an injury or without two injuries even. He's, his fitness is an issue. When on, he's great. He's amazing. He is what Barcelona need in midfield. But how, on is he you know uh, i've watched spain throughout this world cup to be honest with you i don't think he had a particularly very good match yesterday against um against iran or sorry against uh, morocco uh he's been as you said their fourth or fifth midfielder for spain would i take him yes uh, would i spend more than 60 million for him no uh considering the market i know 60 million is probably not a lot um but yeah more than 60 or 70 million for tiago i wouldn't spend just because I feel like he's he's always injured. He's always, always injured. The talent's there. If he's healthy, I'd spend the $70 million gladly. No no hesitation. I'd even go as far as high as 80 or 90 But how much has he really, really proven with Bayern? Has he ever been their, you know, their star player, their star man? Maybe not. You know, I, I don't watch Bayern enough to know. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, I just see a lot of his compilation videos on YouTube ever since he, he left Barcelona. But... From what I could tell from him, injuries are still a problem. And would I take him? Yes, but not more than, than 60 or 70 million. All right, and we got time for one final question, and it's a compilation of questions, kind of a, a little bit of to- a topic, a little bit of a referendum on the relationship between the associates and the board and James and Spiro spearheaded these questions. And the first one, why are the current board so popular with associates? Two, Spiro asks, is there really any influence at all on the board by the associates? And... 
you know, what kind of role do they play where it seems like the vote of no confidence that happened at the beginning of last season, it really didn't get much traction at all. The Sochi's still support the board. And is that just a matter of the, the Sochi's, for some reason, just are afraid of change? They don't want things to happen. Or do they not have as much influence as we really do think they have other than waiting for a big election and having a new candidate sworn in? And is that the way that Barcelona is still run? And then the final question Spiro asks is probably the best one of all. What do you think would be the most important thing you'd want them to fix, change, or implement, that being a new Barcelona president? But again, we're still a ways down the road for that, but we can still have a thought experiment and try to answer that now. Uh, to answer, well, I'll start off with the last question. Uh, the last question in terms of what would I like to see implemented. I know it's a long shot. It'll probably never happen and probably not even a right thing to, to, to implement. But I'd say like a minimum of like La Masia players, let's say you have either one or two La Masia players that have to be promoted per year, or at least in total, La Masia players have to play at least whatever it is, 400, 500 minutes combined a season, or just something. I'd like to see the young kids get a chance. You know, I'd like to see the young kids get promoted because the talent is still there. You know, La Masia is not completely broken. There's still talent that's there, despite the fact that a lot of them are now being rumored to leave. You know, to, to Real Madrid, even to Manchester City or whatnot. So that is something I would like to see implemented, just to sort of help protect the young kids and, and ensure that they still get a chance with the team. Um, that's the first one. In terms of answering the other questions, I don't know how much influence associates actually have to the, you know, in terms of the, the, the board and the club, uh, in terms of influence. Uh, I think a lot of them just sort of see the results and see, well, you know what, they've won La Liga again and they won the Copa del Rey, so things are going fine, things are going great. Uh, we have Coutinho, we have Messi, they got Dembele and Suarez, so it's fine. And, you know, I, I do wonder a lot of the time, the Solskjaer's, maybe maybe it's an age thing, you know. I I hear, I often hear, I don't know the, the numbers or the statistics, but I often hear that a lot of them are, you know, have been there for 30, 40, 50 years. So maybe for them, their mentality is different from mine and yours in terms of a different vision of what we have for the club, right? Maybe for us, for the club, it's, hey, let's do this, let's do this, let's do that. And then maybe the older associates, they see things differently. Maybe it's, oh, well, this has been working for us since the dawn of time. Let's continue this way. So I, I really think that that does depend. I don't think there's one... You know, straight answer like yes or no or black or gray in terms of how much influence they um, they have on the board. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Very true that if you look at the last 20, 30 years, then obviously it looks like Barcelona have been doing great and why should things change? We don't want things to go back to pre-Dream Team with Cruyff era. And those who remember that time Obviously, you probably don't want to change too many things because you are this global team and you're going to trust that this board that have at least kept it the status quo, that are going to, they're going to keep doing that. Um, so that'll wrap up another edition of the Barcelona podcast. Rory Nemer, thanks so much for joining me. Where can people follow your work? Uh, thank you for having me. They could follow me at Roy Nemer. That's uh, Roy, R-O-Y, Nemer, N-E-M-E-R. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm there. I'm there most of the day, <laughs> uh, just tweeting out uh, Argentina news and, and and info. If not during the season, it's uh, it's Barcelona trying to crack jokes on uh, on whatever is going on with the club. But definitely on Twitter at Roy Nemer. If not on my website at mundoalbiceleste.com.
And we're also going to have his Twitter handle, at Roy Nemmer, in the show notes as well, so you can tap on it right now and give him a follow. Again, that was Roy Nemmer. Thanks so much for breaking down Argentina. We'll see how the rest of this World Cup shakes out. We'll have more guests next week to talk about the knockout stages. As we wrap up this edition, thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And force the Barca. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.